0: Well, good morning. It's great to see you guys here today in the room as well as our Bearden location. Glad you guys are uh, connecting and growing in a brand new location. And today is also a really special day in the life of uh, the Maryville location because we're opening up finally uh, our new space, the kids space and uh, upstairs meeting rooms and all of that great stuff. And so Uh, It's just been a real joy and exciting time for our team. And I just wanted to take a second just to kind of let you guys know all the many people that have been helping and and investing into this um, as far as leadership. And so I wanna uh, give a huge thank you to the design team behind this whole process, which was my wife, Micah, uh, Pastor Heath, Pastor Brandon, and uh, Pastor Landon have uh, given a lot of time over the last year to make uh, what we are experiencing today a reality. So super thankful for them. Uh, Andrew Zixi's our ben- uh, business manager, has been really my right-hand man through this whole process. He's been doing uh, a great job. My assistant, Lindsay, who has really been a project manager through the whole thing, which has been uh, just a-, a huge, huge asset uh, to me. Uh, we've got... Uh, Guys like Clint Merriman, who is our facilities director here, who's built much of the the stage and things that you uh, are seeing over there and painting and just doing all kinds of projects, which have been a huge blessing for our church. Uh, You may not know Zach Shaddocks but he's our graphic designer. So all the things that you see on the walls and and just all the different uh, signage and things, uh, he's Creates all of that. And so, uh, so excited about his gift set and how God has used him. And then Ryan Jones and Brian Papik. Uh, Ryan's our production director and uh, Ryan's our audio engineer. And uh, Brian is. And they've been wiring the whole building and um, just doing an incredible job with that, as well as launching a brand new location and all the different audiovisual needs that we had for that. So they have just been killing it. They're exhausted, they're stressed but they've been doing a great job. Would you just give a round of applause to all of them to help me kind of love on them? Thank you. And if you know them and you see them in the hallways, do me a favor and encourage them uh, because uh, they have been working really, really hard. And so I hope that uh, you've been able to uh, see the building and, and uh, I know it's gonna be a blessing for many days uh, ahead. Well, if you've got your Bibles, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter five. Where we'll find ourselves, and I'm going to be actually in many different uh, verses here today to help us uh, come to our next um, value that we want to talk about. We're in a series called This Is Us, and so we're talking about what makes us us essentially. And so we're going through our core values and our core values are created so that they would become a rallying cry, a unifying cry, something that would help us not to get off track or off base on the side issues, but that it would continually draw us to the things that are uh, vitally important for a church uh, that is gospel centered. And so last Sunday I talked about this value that Jesus is life and today I want to spend some time really talking through and, and thinking through and encouraging you guys on this second statement which is growth happens in relationships. Growth happens in the confines of being in relationships with other godly people. So we really believe um, it really is all about relational environments, and and that's what I want to encourage you to get involved in and to begin to think about today. And the reason is because if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to mature in your faith, if you want to know and experience the power of God in your life, then you're going to need other people to come around you and help you experience that. And so, um. When we say this, we're not just coming up with a good, friendly statement. No, the reason why our vision statement is that we exist to develop mature disciples of Christ in relational environments is because Jesus did it that way. Jesus gives us the model. Sure, he had a public ministry and and, uh, gathered thousands and he had a large preaching ministry and he ministered to thousands of people and of course we're going to preach and of course we're going to have larger gatherings, but the majority of his time was spent with 12 men. And even in that group of 12 men, we see the biblical evidence that even more time was spent with Peter, James, and John. So he... He lived life in this small group. He invested in them. He built relationships with them. He uh, discipled them. He mentored them. He ministered to them. He cared for them. He challenged them when they uh, sinned. And, and, and so this is the model that we want to actually emulate in our church. And so we go to scriptures like Mark three, where it says, in he where, and Jesus uh, appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. And so Jesus was with them, essentially meaning that he spent time with them. He developed a relationship with them. He was training and equipping and discipling them. And as a result, they became leaders. So my question for you today is who are you with? Who are you doing life with? Who are you growing in a relationship with? Who is around you outside of your family that is is gonna help you grow and experience Christ to the fullest? Jesus said, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. And the way that Jesus makes us a fisher of men, the way that he develops us and grows us is in the confines of a relationship in the confines of being under a spiritual leader who will disciple you, mentor you, and help you take the next steps in your faith. When we gather in small groups, these small group leaders are disciple makers. Sure, they are your friends, but they are more than just a friend. They are a spiritual leader in your life. They have not arrived. They have not reached the plateau of maturity. No, but they are at least maybe one or two, if not more steps ahead of where others in the group are. And so we're uh, equipping them, we're giving them the authority as a church and the great opportunity to be a disciple maker in your life. And so look to them as disciple makers, look to them as people who are helping you grow in your faith. And as we are growing and as we are learning and as we are being equipped, we are being sent out to accomplish the ministry that God has given to each of us. You have a life and a job and a ministry that God wants you to be a part of and wants you to give your gift sets to. And so just like the apostles were being sent out, Jesus is with them to send them out and their role was to preach and to plant churches. Your role will be different perhaps But nonetheless, it will be in that same mindset of gathering to equip and then to send you out to do ministry. Uh, Obviously, we lean on the Great Commission, which is Matthew 28, which says, "...go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything." that I have commanded you. And then his promise is that lo, I am with you to the end of the age. And so this is the heartbeat of our church. Yes, Jesus is life, so this is what we do. How do we do that? We do that most effectively the way that Jesus did it, which is in relationships, which is to be with others who will help us grow and who we in turn will help them grow as well. If you are in a group today um, and and, and you're already tracking in a small group, you might even be a small group leader or a co-leader, today is just gonna be encouragement and it's gonna be reminders and it's gonna be pumping you up for this new season of small group ministry that just started a couple weeks ago. But I also know that there are many of you watching and many of you uh, here today who are not in a small group at this time. And there are many reasons that keep us out of these significant relationships in small groups. Uh, and, And so I wanna start today by addressing a few of these reasons that might be keeping you out of a small group. So first let's start in 1 Peter chapter five, and this will get us rolling today. God says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. This is verse six throughout the world. So here's the point that I want to make with this is is that we sometimes don't realize that we are in a spiritual battle, a spiritual war. And when you don't realize that you're in a spiritual war, then sometimes that makes us think that we don't need a brotherhood. We don't need a sisterhood. We don't need a team around us to help fight in this battle. So let me go back to the first scriptures. He says, humble yourself. So essentially, he wants you and I to recognize that we must humble ourselves before God. In other words, recognize that he's God. I'm not God, you're God. Humble myself and and, and say, God, this is not about my life and what I wanna do. This is about what you wanna do through me. This life can't be about me. It must be about you because you're the creator. And so I humble myself under his plan, under his purpose, And so that would lead me to worship Him, serve Him, and honor Him with my life. So we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. He will exalt us at the proper time. Then He says, cast all your anxieties on Him. Now I recognize that in this room today and watching from home today, there are many of you that come in with heavy burdens. You have a lot of worries on your heart today. Maybe you're worried about your job or you're worried about your health or maybe there's some anxiety because you know, you're raising your kids and there's issues with them or maybe it's your marriage that, that's having issues. And so we come into, into this room and we're watching today with a lot of anxiety and with a lot of worries. And the remedy Jesus gives to us through his word is to cast those anxieties onto him. How do we do that? Prayer. In prayer, I am saying, God, I am worried and I am stressed about X, Y, and Z. And I am laying them at the foot of the cross. I am giving them to you. I cannot carry them, but you can. And we don't just do that one time, then we're done. That's like sometimes every minute of the day, or at least every hour of the day, depending on what you're going through. And it's at least a daily process for each of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus, that we would cast our anxiety on him in prayer. Why? Because he cares. He cares about everything that you're going through. He knows about everything that you're dealing with. He cares for you. And so he's calling us to cast these anxieties on him. And, and when we humble ourselves before God, when we cast our anxiety upon him, then it helps us to be sober-minded. It's hard to be sober-minded when your mind is racing with all of the anxieties and worries of the world. When you're worried about things that are out of your control, things that you can't change, you're not sober-minded. You're playing the God card. You're acting like you're in control. You're acting like you can change somebody. You can't change anybody. Only Jesus can change. Only the Spirit of God can change. You can influence, but you can't ultimately change someone. Only God can do that. And so we, we, we cast all this anxiety on ourselves and, and then our spouse feels that anxiety because we're upset all the time and we're, we're, we have this energy about us that's just kind of restless and the smallest spark that, that hits that anxious heart blows up into an argument. Why? Well, we haven't casted the anxieties on him. We haven't humbled ourselves. Again, this isn't a one-time thing. It's a continual thing. That leads us to be sober-minded. In other words, I'm able to think clearly And then I'm watchful, why am I watchful? Because we're in a spiritual war and you have an adversary, his name is the devil and he prowls around just like a lion, seeking someone to devour, he wants to devour you. He wants to kill, he wants to steal and he wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your marriage and your your influence and your spiritual legacy. He wants to distract you so that all you care about is work and money He wants you to uh, develop sinful habits in your life that would then break fellowship with your wife or break fellowship with your kids. He is legitimately, actively trying to devour all that is good and righteous and holy in our lives. And so Peter says, stand firm in your faith. How do we stand firm in your faith? I love this. He says, know this, you have a brotherhood and they're going through the exact same things as you. They're they're experiencing the same kinds of suffering and they are literally all over the world. This isn't a East Tennessee problem. This is a worldwide problem. And so you have a family, you have a brotherhood, you have a sisterhood. In other words, you have an opportunity to understand that and to press into that brotherhood and to press into that family. And as you press into that family, as you begin to understand that and grow in that, and grow in that, that family, sisterhood, brotherhood, relational environment of God's church, it will strengthen your faith. It'll help you to live a life sober-minded. It'll help you live a life that is humbled before God. And it'll help you resist the temptations of the enemy that are seeking to devour you. I love how the flow of that passage just makes so much sense and, 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 and so encouraging. Um, several years ago, my wife and I had an opportunity through Compassion International to go to Kenya, Africa, to see the, the work and the, min, and the ministry that they were doing over there. And so they flew us over there and they showed us everything. And part of the whole trip is they took us to this uh, safari uh, at what's called Maasai Mara. And it's like one of the premier um, safaris in the world. So we were way out of our league, but wow, was it amazing. And so Masai Mara is right next to the Serengeti. And if you watch National Geographic like I do, and you love all of the animal life of of, the African plains, you'll remember the scenes of where these thousands um, of wildebeest will make a migration every year. And what they do is, um, well, Lots of them cross and they go across the river, right? And you've seen these big crocodiles trying to eat them as they cross. Is everybody with me on that? Amazing. That's where we were at. And so I'm literally overlooking the river that I had seen since I was a kid on TV and I'm just loving it. And these huge crocodiles and all these wildebeest are running around and it's just really, literally amazing. And so we're in this Jeep and the Jeep is, <clears throat> it's a little bit you know, taller than, you know a normal like jeep that you might see around here uh, like a factory you know low model jeep it's a little bit lifted uh, but it has no doors and it has no roof so keep that in mind so we're driving around the plains of africa looking for dangerous animals so i didn't really think through that but we get to this point where we're parked and we're just sitting there and these little tiny kittens little baby lions walk out of the bushes here and they just start walking around like they own the place, you know? And it was so cute. And uh, I was with my brother and his wife, Christy, and then another couple was sitting up front. And, and so we're watching this and these little kids come up, we're like, oh, this is so cute. And they, they come up to the Jeep and it's like, oh man, I just, I, just wanna, I just wanna scoop you up. I just wanna play with you, right? Like it's Simba and, and we're gonna connect. And, and right in this, Oh, kind of moment, you know, snapping pictures and videos. Out comes mama lion and like 10 of her sisters. <laughs> and like they come right out and like all the little cubs are here and we realize this, this is not good. This is, no, no longer is this hand me the camera, honey. This is like hand me the gun. <laughs> like this is not a safe, no doors, no roof, right? And so they come out and they start, you know, they just start kind of walking where they they're owning the place. We are nervous as all get out. And of course, then comes Big Daddy, Papa, walking out as well, this huge mane, and he's just massive. And and I'm just telling you, it's like from me to you, like 10 feet away, and we're in a jeep for crying out loud. And and then the woman in front, she's like, Oh my god, oh my gosh! And all the lions are like, Huh? What are you doing? What? Do we need to eat you? Is that what we need to do? Do we need to eat this person? And so they start like being attracted by the yelling. And so We're like, shut up, you know? (laughs) So we're, we're a little nervous, but the guy turns around and he said something that I'll never forget. And I don't have a really good accent on this, but he said, nobody panic. Everyone stay in the Jeep. If you step out of the Jeep, the lions will attack stick together and we said we don't know this guy we don't know anything about him we like your plan we're going with that plan and we stuck together and we stayed in the jeep and praise the lord they walked off and they did whatever the lions did that day but i will never forget the fear that i felt that day of these roaring prowling lions that I just knew wanted to eat me. And I'll never forget that guide who said, stick together. If we stick together, they won't attack. And so what I wanna help you realize today is that you need to realize that we are in a spiritual war and you may not believe in in myths and legends and science fiction and, And and you're probably maybe somebody that's hard to convince that, that there are supernatural things happening in the world and you're not sure about miracles. But let me tell you something that the Bible clearly teaches and that if you follow Jesus, you want to understand there is a real enemy and he is seeking to devour you. In other words, tempt you and ruin you. And I think the gospel calls us to stick together. Stick together in a way that we would encourage, help, guide, train. When when attacks happen, we're there to help mend. And and when sorrow is is, is part of our lives, we're there to to help lead our friends, our brotherhood, our sisterhood through that moment. And I think this is such an important word today in, in a in an American culture that is so divided. And I see divisions all over churches across the country as well. Every pastor that I coach, every pastor that I talk to talks about how there are people in his church that are actively campaigning on social media you know, fighting in their small group, leading people to get on this political train that calls the church to divide and be angry at each other or at, at least irritated by each other, not recognizing that God is calling us to stick together through this. And at no other time in our lives do I think this message is more poignant and more important for us to not only hear and be encouraged by, but actually to follow up on and actually do. You need to realize that you're in a spiritual war and you need brothers and sisters around you to help. The second reason though, that some of us might not be in a small group is that we don't realize we're in a spiritual war. And then number two, we don't value gospel-centered community. We don't value that. We might value our marriage and our kids and our extended family. You know, we we might value family, blood relatives, but we don't yet value gospel-centered community. And Jesus teaches us that gospel-centered community actually trumps our blood relationships, right? Here's a picture of what gospel-centered community looks like in Acts chapter two, verse 42. You're probably familiar with this. This is the early church. It says that they were devoted, uh, they had devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the preaching of the word of God and the fellowship, or in other words, the relationship uh, aspect of growing together. They ate together, so they broke bread. They prayed together and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together." Again, this idea that they were connected in relationships and they had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So as needs needs arose in the community and, and even in the church that they were helping each other, right? This is the kind of community they had created because of the gospel. And day by day, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, so worship is happening, having favor with all the people. In other words, the people in the community, they were winning favor with them because of the way that they were acting and behaving and treating others. And as a result of all this, the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. So it wasn't a Billy Graham crusade that led to day by day those who were being saved. It wasn't necessarily a Sunday morning message. No, they were in relationships together, loving each other, um, worshiping together, praying together, eating together. And they must have been sharing their faith as well with their neighbors and with those they were inviting into that community. And as a result of that invitation, as a result of the relationships that they had built and the influence that they were creating god saved many people and i don't know about you but that is exactly the kind of life that i want to experience i think that is the exact kind of life that the gospel and that god is calling each of us as followers of jesus to experience to be in relationships with one another there there are they're, they're yes eating together yes they're they're hanging out and developing friendships but it is all centered around the gospel. It's all centered around the worship of Jesus. Some of you, um, I I think, are Christians that that have never really connected to God's church. Sure, maybe you attend, but you've never really connected to a church, or maybe at least not to this church. Perhaps you've never uh, been discipled by someone. And Sometimes we think that I just need to watch a sermon or I need to watch another church's sermon. if I can just watch more sermons, then I will grow. Or if I could read about theology, or if I could take a class, or if I could do a Bible study, that that's going to lead me to growth. And, And sure, some of these things are helpful, but at the end of the day, if we're not in relationships with others, if we're not being discipled by somebody, who we can have a conversation with eyeball to eyeball, then we are missing a huge part of what God is offering us in gospel-centered community. Some of us have a self-reliant mentality, I wanna handle all my problems by myself. Guys are the worst at this, let's just be honest. We wanna be self-reliant, we like to, to be isolationist, You know, when we're done with work, we wanna be alone, maybe in the garage or in the man cave or somewhere and be alone. And that's the enemy tempting us saying that this is what's going to refuel you for tomorrow, when that is a lie. What refuels us men is that gospel centered community that beckons us and calls us to worship and love and humble ourselves before God, right? That's the truth of scripture. So some of us don't value gospel-centered community. But then thirdly, this is a big one. We're just too busy. We choose to fill our schedules with work and with kids playing sports, and we refuse to make time for the things that truly matter. And that's just true of our culture. And some of us, that's like hitting the nail on the head, right, that's the issue. It's not that you don't have time because we all have 24 hours in a day. It's that you don't make time. And I have found in my life that if something is important enough to me, I make time for it. Whether it's reading scripture or whether it's being with my kids in their sporting events or whatever it is, if I think it's important, I will make time to see that happen. Right? Now, we're too busy is a huge factor. Secondly, or fourthly, wow, way off on that one. Number four, we give up too soon. What I mean by that is some of you have tried to connect to a church. Some of you have tried to connect in a small group. Some of you are students in high school and you're trying to connect, you know, in your small group on Wednesday night. But after a couple of months, if you don't see significant life transformation, then you just give up. If you don't see your husband, whammo, changed after that first meeting, (laughs) it's like, well, this isn't working. (laughs) It's like... We expect things to to happen so quickly in our culture. You know this. We want microwave spiritual growth. We want it fast, we want it now, we want it in a hurry. Why? Because we got other things to do and spiritual maturity and growth just doesn't work that way. It takes months, if not years. There's not a timeline on it. God doesn't have a timeline on spiritual growth. It might happen quickly for you. You might get it overnight or it might take years it might take years. If you've been in our church for the last 12 years, you've heard me preach this sermon many times. But at the same time, you might say, I've actually never tried a small group. And you see, it just takes time. And, and, and we don't know how much time it's gonna take for you. But at the end of the day, if you've been hurt by a church or you've been hurt by a small group or you just feel like it didn't work well for you, don't give up. Don't let the enemy who is seeking to devour your marriage, your children, your career, win the day with that mentality and that temptation. You need others. So I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's you didn't realize that you were in a spiritual war. You're just not taking it seriously. Maybe it's uh, you don't value gospel centered community or maybe you're just too busy. You're just too busy and, and, and you've just chosen to fill your schedule with things that you think are more important than small group. Or perhaps you've just given up too soon. You tried, it didn't work, so you gave up. My solution, the Bible solution, what I think that you should reconsider and what I wanna encourage you to do today is to actually prioritize significant relationships and get in a small group because growth happens in relationships. Here's what we get, two things that we get when we're in a small group. Small group is where you get encouragement. Small group is where you get encouragement. Now, everybody loves encouragement. Nobody hates encouragement. You might be embarrassed by it or it might be uncomfortable for you, but we love to be encouraged. Everybody loves encouragement. You could never encourage your spouse enough. Maybe one of the Uh, Only ways that you've encouraged your wife happen, you know, a week ago. And you think, well, I told her I loved her back then. Why do I have to tell her again, right? Well, she needs to hear that every day. She needs to be encouraged every day. Honey, you're doing a great job, right? I'm guilty of that. Men, we're guilty of that. Uh, We get busy and we get sidetracked and we're running and gunning. Our wife needs it. Our kids need it. And here's the reality. If you want to grow spiritually, you need it every day. How do I know that? Well, that's what God's word says. Hebrews 10, 24 says, "'Let us consider how we may spur one another on "'toward love and good deeds, "'not giving up meeting together "'as some are in the habit of doing, "'but encouraging one another, "'and all the more as you see the day approaching.'" See, he's calling us to spur one another. It's like a cowboy with boots on that's got the spurs, and when he kicks those spurs into that horse, it makes that horse move forward. That is exactly the picture he wants us to to begin to have a framework for. This is what godly friendship looks like. It's spurring you on, why? Because we tend to be lazy and selfish and we need to be reminded daily, read your Bible, huh, what? Oh yeah, 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 okay. Oh, I haven't prayed in a month? Yeah, I I should probably do that, spur me along, kick me in the butt so that I can get my spiritual life Moving—that's the idea. And the and the reality is, we need this daily. I don't need this once a week. I don't need to give, I, I need to give it to you once a week in the message, but you need it on Monday through Saturday as well. This is what small groups are all about. This is what the relational side of this happens—the the small group uh, group text that's happening and and the and the you know the the things that they're learning, that they're sharing on a consistent basis. The, how can I pray for you today? Uh, you said this on Sunday when we were in group and I'm checking in to see how it's going. All of that stuff is happening, which does what? Encourages you daily. I love it. Hebrews chapter three also says this, take care brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another, every day, as long as it is called the day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, if you're not exhorted and encouraged to eliminate sin and worship Jesus, pursue Jesus, connect to Jesus on a regular basis, then what happens to your heart is that it begins to be hardened. Some of you have a hard heart today. You hear me talk about this and you're easy to shrug it off. You're easy to come up with excuses, and I get that. We get to those places where we feel like, well, you know what, nobody's ever helped me before. How am I really gonna get any help anytime in the future? We have this hard heart towards, I don't really need anything. I got everything that I need, which, by the way, is a prideful statement, and we've already read that God calls us to humble ourselves before him, and he will exalt us. We have a hard heart because we think, well, you know, um, tried it, didn't work. There's a million excuses and reasons why you might have a hard heart. You might have a hard heart today because you've allowed sin and sinful habits to grow in your heart. And, and, and that's just the reality. You're not living a life of righteousness. You're living a life that is, has, has, has left the way in which God would call you to live. And as a result, your heart is hardened. Maybe you were drugged here to church or to watch today, you didn't really wanna come. That hard heart had to be drugged here and, and now you, you're forced to listen. You're like, I don't wanna listen to this guy. I mean, maybe your prayer today, if you kinda sense that the Holy Spirit is just kinda prodding you on this particular instance, maybe, maybe you would be so bold as to pray, God, soften my heart to the things that are holy. Soften my heart to your presence. And that might be the first step of growth and healthy relationships in your life. Small group is where you're going to experience encouragement. But but secondly, small group is where you're going to experience shepherding and care. It's where you're going to experience care. Now, there there are a lot of different church models out there. But in our model of church, the primary way that you are cared for, right, outside of the preaching of God's word is going to be through your small group. And I think that's a biblical approach because again, it is modeled in the New Testament in Acts chapter two. It's modeled in the life of Jesus. It's modeled in the the way the New Testament teaches us that we are the body of Christ. We all have different gift sets and we are working in unison to make disciples. I do not have all the gifts of the Bible, by the way. I cannot care for I can barely care for my family. And I'll just be honest with you, let alone care for thousands of people. But some churches kind of have this model that the pastor is the one that cares for everybody's sick needs and hospital needs and, and family needs and counseling needs. And, and so he spends all of his time caring for all of these aspects. And, and in my opinion, I, I think that robs the people of being the people of God. It robs the body of using their gift sets. If you go back to the life of Moses, there was a day in in Moses's life where he is literally day in and day out solving all the problems of the Israelites. And his father-in-law Jethro comes up and says, hey, what are you doing? Like, this isn't working. You need to divide up in smaller groups and and give authority to other people. Let them handle some of these problems. You're not God. And so he's like, okay. And so he divides up the people and then all of a sudden everybody's needs start getting met and all of a sudden all these decisions are made and things start rocking and start flowing, right? The same idea is, is, is why we do small groups. Because in small groups, your needs are cared for. The people that you are living life with, they know when you get sick and need a meal. They know when you're in the hospital and need to step into that. Sure, our staff and our pastors are supporting and helping, And that's part of of, of our structure and leadership, but care and being known happens in small groups. So it doesn't matter if we have a location here and in Knoxville and somewhere else, like the reality is small groups are where that care and where that ministry really takes place. Um, I love what Zig Ziglar once said. He said, if you're going, if you go looking for a friend, you're gonna find They're very scarce. If you go out to be a friend, you'll find them everywhere. And I love that because the mentality is this. If you hear this message and go, okay, yeah, I need some friends in my life. I'm gonna go make some friends. Then you're hearing the wrong message. The goal of small groups is spiritual maturity, not just getting friends. And if your mentality is I'm gonna go find a friend, they're gonna be scarce. So the reality is you need to go be a friend to someone else. And when you become a friend to other people, then all of a sudden you begin to experience that there are a lot of needs and a lot of people want community and a lot of people need friendships and relationships in their life. I love this idea uh, because I really truly believe this statement. You cannot be what God wants you to be without the right people in your life. The life that God is calling you to live cannot be gained alone. It's why the Bible does not support monasteries. It doesn't say go live in the hills and just pray all day. No, Jesus calls us to be in relationships and develop disciples. So we need other people in our life. You can't be everything that God wants you to be without the right people in your life. And as a result, like it's important for us not just to go into groups thinking this is what I'm gonna get. We go into a group realizing that I'm gonna be able to offer my life experience, I'm gonna be able to offer things that God has taught me and is teaching me, and then we begin to actually influence other people in ways that we never dreamed possible. So for you to become all that God wants you to be, yes, you need someone investing into you, but you also need to be investing into the lives of other people. I love what Jim Rohn uh, once said, he's one of the business philosophers in America. He said, we are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. We're the average of the five people we spend the most time with. And so who are you with? Who are you surrounding yourself with? Whether you realize it or not, how you think, how you act, how you're gonna grow, how successful you're gonna be, how spiritually mature you're going to be, really does depend heavily upon the people that you have surrounded yourself with. Now, your mom taught you this when you were little. That's why she wanted you to hang out with the right crowd. But the same thing works for our spiritual growth. That's why the Bible says this, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. You wanna be wise? Get those five people around you that you spend the most time with and make sure they're wise, spiritually wise. Otherwise, here's what's gonna happen. If you're a companion of fools, fools who don't care about God, don't care about God's mission, don't care about worshiping God, don't care about humbling themselves before God, don't care about fighting in this spiritual battle that he's called us to battle, then you're gonna be a fool as well and you're gonna suffer harm. So my encouragement for you today is if you're at the Mariville location, if you're in the city of Maryville, go to the Connect Center, go to our website, And if you're not in a small group, engage. Today, you can register for the small group experience that's gonna begin very soon. If you're in Bearden, the groups are starting right now. So if you're watching online right now and you wanna get in a group in Knoxville, you can go to our website and you can connect through the form that is there. If you're in a group, man, I wanna encourage you to, to to maybe not be so superficial because maybe you're in a group but you're not experiencing the growth. And I would say maybe it's because you're just being superficial and you're just kind of at surface level. And I would say that is a huge reason why we don't break into more spiritual growth. Open up, that's why you're there. Open up, be real, be yourself. Like we have tried to create a culture here at Foothills Church where we can be authentic and real and not feel like we have to have it all together because I promise you nobody in here does. And that's why we need each other. And that's why you need a small group. People who invest in you and people who you can invest in. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for the truth that growth happens in relationships and that you are inviting all of us to be a part of that family. You've invited all of us, God, to this family of of this brotherhood, this sisterhood where we would fight together the temptations of the world. We would unite together around your mission, where we would experience encouragement, where we would experience correction at times, but ultimately we would experience spiritual maturity. That's what we desire. We wanna experience your power. We wanna experience, God, your truth. And so, Father, in this moment, if there are those in the room who are not connected, I pray, God, that you would help them to be bold enough to take that next step and get connected. And we praise you because we know that we are stronger when we are together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Foothills Church. If you made a decision to follow Christ while listening today, or if you have some more questions about what that looks like, then let us know. You can text FC decision to 97000 or you can head over to foothillschurch.com/decision. We hope you have a great week.